We've been working our way through the letter to the church in Rome. Uh, This is a a book in the New Testament written by uh, a man named Paul, who was a former terrorist of Christians, uh, but the risen and resurrected Jesus of Nazareth appeared to Paul, calling him, saving him out of his rebellion, and calling him to be one of his authorized spokespersons, who would speak on behalf of Jesus to take the good news of the message of the gospel to the nations. Paul has been laying out for this church in Rome this good news of the gospel because Paul is desiring to go to Rome and see this church become a church-planting church that they would reach to the, the farthest uh, links of the known world at that time to see people hear the good news of the message of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Paul's been uh, showing us why this good news of the gospel is needed for all of us and why it is such good news. Uh, last week, where we saw is what Paul did is he, he took us back, back in history, uh, to the first man, uh, Adam, to, to help us understand uh, the, the, how God relates to humanity. That God relates to us through representatives, covenant representatives. Uh, Adam being the first man, all of us, uh, were initially in Adam. He represented us. As it went for Adam, so it went for us. And due to Adam's rebellion against God, uh, we experienced uh, the guilt of Adam's sin. We experienced the, the grime, the, the corruption of sin in our hearts and our minds. And we ultimately would experience the, the grave, uh, death for our rebellion against God. Now, our only hope we saw was that it would be possible that we could have a new representative, another who's... Who, who's account whose who's the way that he lived could be credited, imputed, uh, made ours. And the good news of the gospel is, is that God did enter into a second covenant. He did provide a new representative, Jesus, who lived perfectly before our God. And therefore, his, his, his life, his perfect righteousness was credited to us and we are forgiven in him. Uh, but that brings up a question, and it brought up a question at the end of uh, the, the passage last week. Because what Paul was showing us is that Jesus, this new representative, is superior to Adam. Adam sinned once and brought sin and death to all of humanity. But after all of those multitude and multitude and multitude of sins, and how we compound our sin upon sin upon sin. Jesus came, and His one act of obedience brought grace and mercy to all those who trust and hope in Him. In the face of great sin, God's, God's mercy abounds all the more. Well, that brings up the question, how do we then relate to this sin? There's a couple of different ways we could. One objection that, that we'll see at the beginning of this passage is that we think, oh, well, sin is just a way for me to glorify God all the more. The more I sin, the more God's grace is evident, so it really doesn't matter what I do. Others of us, our, our response and perspective on sin may be to continue to live dominated by it, oppressed by it, feeling uh, it, its guilt and its weight, And it's burden as if we can do nothing more than sin and there is no hope. What is the proper perspective? What are the implications for us as God's people now that we have been found in Christ? 
if we've trusted in Jesus, that He is our representative. That is what Paul is seeking to help us understand more and more. The implications of the reality that, that the people of God are those who are in Jesus. That's why he spent so much time showing us we were in Adam and now that we're in Christ. So, let's look at Romans chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. Kids, if you want to draw a picture uh, to go along with the sermon this morning, what you can do is on the sermon note page, or if you have a, another uh, a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle of the paper. And at the top of one side, write in Adam. And on the top of the other side, write in Christ. Draw me a picture on the left under the in Adam of ways that humanity used our bodies to rebel against God. And on the other side, as you listen to the sermon this morning, listen and think about what does it look like now to use our bodies in freedom to glorify our God? So how can we use our bodies in rebellion? How can we use our bodies in freedom? In Christ, or in Adam, in Christ. And you can show it to me after we can hang it up on the, the wall over here. So follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. It's on page 942, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. Again, this is the Word of the Lord from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Jesus, our, our covenant head, our representative, uh, our redeemer, our savior, uh, we, we praise you uh, that what we read in the scriptures are true. Uh, we pray that you would help us to not just know these things, but to consider them true about us and to live in reality of what you call us to in this passage. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts to believe and live out the truths 
and the reality of the Gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here, we're going to see in this passage is, is Paul is warning us to, to know and recognize who we are. Who we are in, in Jesus. He's going to focus on two aspects of who we are and then call us to respond in light of that. The two things that he's pointing us to is who we are. We're those who have died. We are those who have died. Secondly, he's going to show us that we are those who are alive. We are those who have died. We are those who are alive. Notice, this is important as we consider our relationship to sin in light of the fact and the truth and the reality of Jesus' redemption and His work of us. Notice how this question comes up about this relationship to sin. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If the gospel is true, does it, uh, does it matter that we continue to sin? Can, can I not glorify God through my continued rebellion? Because the more and more I sin, the more grace that is demonstrated. Praise be to God. Let me bring that on as my life's mission. To glorify God through my sin and my rebellion. Notice what Paul says. By no means. By no means. The relationship that the people of God who have been redeemed and who are in Jesus, our relationship to sin has changed. Notice what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Notice how he describes us. We who died to sin, that is who we are. We are the type of people we are the group of people who are our identity marker. What is true of us is that our relationship to sin, we are those who have died to it. No. How, how did this happen? How did we die to sin? I thought Jesus died. I thought He died in our place, Paul. Well, remember, it's important for us. Paul is laying out how God relates to humanity through covenant representatives. As it goes for the covenant representative, so it goes for those that he represents. We have been united to Jesus. We have been brought in as those who are in Him. Remember, that's the language that the Scripture uses. If we are members of, of the people that Jesus represents. And Paul has been telling us, Jesus is our new representative. Therefore, because Christ died, you died. That's what happened to him. That's what happened to us. Christ did die in our place, but Paul is saying there's a very real uh, aspect to Christ's death that applies to us as well. Notice what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How are we to know that when Jesus died, we died? How are we to know that we are the type of people that have died to sin? Well, Paul says, look at your baptism. Why would Paul point us to our baptism? Well, one, one thing that to, to notice here and to recognize, Paul isn't saying because you were baptized, what your baptism accomplished for you was that is what united you to Jesus. That is how you were redeemed and saved. It's through your baptism that now Jesus 
Righteousness has been credited to you. Your sin is forgiven. You've died to sin. No, that would contradict all that Paul has said in the first five chapters leading up to this. Remember, it's by no works that you'll be saved. It's only through the grace and the mercy and what Jesus has done, and it's through faith that we receive these promises. But remember what Paul talked about, about covenant signs. Covenant sign that God gives His people with Abraham. Always the way God relates to His people. Righteousness through faith. Circumcision was a sign and seal of righteousness through faith. Remember, we, we talk, we've talked about this in the past. You must not confuse the sign for the thing that's being signified. We had the Potato Festival down here in May, downtown Elizabeth City. If you made your journey from any part of Elizabeth City or the Outer Banks or Belvedere or Edenton and you came and you said, we are going to the Potato Festival. You loaded up in your car, you drove all the way down to Elizabeth City. You went to the sign that said Elizabeth City Potato Festival. You took your picture under it and said, hey kids, we're here. Isn't this great? And then you pile right back in your car and go home. You've missed it. You've missed it. You've confused the sign for what's signified. You missed out on the funnel cake. You missed out on the carnival rides. You missed out on all the vendors that are down there and seeing your friends. Because you've confused the sign for what it was pointing to. It's pointing to something else. But also, we understand these covenant signs are seals. They're authenticating the truth of what they're pointing to. When I graduated from NC State, I didn't want a graduation ring. I have skinny, bony fingers, graduation college rings are big. I don't want one of those. I want something more important. I want a piece of the basketball floor from Reynolds Coliseum where NC State played basketball. So I told my parents, get me this instead of a ring. And so they did. Now, how do I know that this is real? How do I know that some janitor in the back room at NC State isn't just cutting up pieces of wood and painting red on it? Because there's an authenticated seal in here. It says this is authentic. It is a piece of the floor from Reynolds Coliseum. It is real. How do I know that? They give me a physical seal, a, a, a medallion in here that authenticates and points to me and anybody else who looks at this that you know this is legitimate. It is not fake. We have the authority and have communicated to you that this is real and it is true. And that is what God is doing with covenant signs and seals. He's saying that this promise isn't something that Paul has made up. It's coming from me. Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is communicating these promises, that they are real and true. Paul isn't just making this up in the back and then selling God's people a bill of goods. No. It's real and true. What is it that baptism points to? What is it that baptism signifies and seals, authenticates? It's the good news of the promise that when you hope and trust in Jesus, you are united to Him. What was true of Him becomes true of you. His righteousness is credited to you. Justification. But also notice what happens here. is because we've been united to Jesus, our baptism reminds us that just as Jesus died, we died. That's one of the things that Paul's pointing here. Baptism is a sign of our union with Jesus. That's the emphasis. You were baptized into Christ. Did baptism accomplish that? No. Faith in Christ. 
is the instrument by which we are united to Him. But we must remember, God has said, when you trust in Me, when you trust in My promised One, you're united to Jesus. Baptism confirms that reality as you listen to the One who's speaking in baptism. He's promising, authenticating. This is a true promise. When you trust in Jesus, what He did applies to you. And what is Paul pointing to that Jesus did? He died. And because Jesus died, you died. That's what he says. You were buried with Him by baptism into death. Notice what he says as he continues to go on. The, imp- the implications of this. For if we've been united to, with Him in a death like His, th- there's some way in which this death that Jesus died, we weren't actually on the cross. We didn't die for our own sins. Jesus did that. But the way that our death is like the death of Jesus is it says we died to sin. How did we die to sin? This definitive break with us, with it. Notice how Paul explains it. In verse 6, we know, how do we know it? Because God sealed and authenticated it in baptism when He made the promise. You have been united to Christ. So what does that mean? Our old self was crucified with Him. What? Jesus died on the cross. What is this old self or old man that He's talking about? Remember, who, do, who were we? Who, were, who was the first man? It's Adam. Who were we? Before coming to faith in Christ, we were in Adam. We were part of that old man. And Paul is saying, because you've been united to Jesus, you have a new representative. The old man that you were once a part of, that was true of you, is no longer true. You've been taken out of Adam and you have been placed in Jesus. Sometimes we have the confused idea that As Christians, we're the old man and the new man simultaneously. And there's a battle going on. And we've got to see which one is going to come out on top. Paul says, oh no. The old man was crucified. He's dead. You're no longer in Adam. That has been broken. And the relationship you had to sin due to being in Adam is no more. What was it like when we were in Adam? Well, we could do nothing but sin, right? Remember what Paul is telling us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one did good. No, not one. No one desired to seek after God. No one desired to love Him or serve Him. We could do nothing but rebel. And we used our bodies. Instead of to glorify and honor God, we used our bodies to rebel against Him, to commit treason, to do things with our bodies, remember? Chapter 1 of Romans, that dishonors our God and dishonors ourselves. But notice what Paul says is true now of us. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That use of the body to rebel against God, now that has been brought an end to. There's a new use for our bodies and a new use for our life. We'll get to that. But notice what Paul says. God did that crucifying our old self and bringing us the body of sin to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Notice as he continues to go on. Uh, um, 
For the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. Therefore, in verse 11, we must consider ourselves dead to sin. We've been set free. Sin no longer has dominion. The first few chapters, Paul has been telling us Jesus died on our behalf to deliver us from the penalty of sin. What was the penalty of our sin? Eternal death and separation from God. But here, Paul is telling us something very, very important and significant. We've also been delivered from the power of sin. Because Adam was our representative, we, being entering into this world, are enslaved to sin. It dominates us. It controls us. We give our hearts and our lives and our minds and everything over to it. We can do nothing but sin because we were in Adam. But notice what Paul says. Now that you've died, you have been set free. Sin no longer has power over you. You no longer must obey it. You have been set free to rebel against sin. You have been set free to resist sin. You are someone new. You are one who has died to sin. This is, this is very, very good news. Because some of us, as we, we reflect on our past sin, as we reflect even on our, our present sin and what is going on, that sin haunts us. It guilts and it shames us. And we can begin to be confused into thinking that we are those who still exist and live lives that are dominated and controlled by sin. And it is inevitable that there's no use really in me battling against this sin. I've already lost. I've been battling it for too long and there's no way that I will be able to overcome this. I might as well give up and cease to fight and battle. And Paul says, no, no. Do you not realize you've died to sin? Do you not realize you've been united to Christ? When He died, you died? Sin no longer has power over you. You can battle. You can fight. Before, you couldn't. You had to obey. You wanted to obey. But now you've been changed. You've been set free. The other thing that it does is it, it, would, it would call us to question the, the legitimacy of believers identifying ourselves with our sin. To, to not think of ourselves primarily as one who is in Jesus. To not think of ourselves primarily as one who has died to sin. But to think of our, ourselves as Christians, but modifying that term with sin. Gay Christian. Workaholic Christian. Alcoholic Christian. Lusting Christian. You see what, what begins to happen? If that's the way that you speak about yourself, you're continuing to undermine the truth and the reality of the gospel of who you are in Jesus. You are one who has died to sin. Does this mean that your struggle with sin has ended? Does this mean that you will be sinless? No. God's, the penalty of sin has been broken through Jesus. The power of sin has been broken through Jesus. But the presence of sin, it's going to be around until Christ returns. But then it'll be done away with. We'll touch on this in subsequent chapters. But we must recognize that we are those who have died 
to sin. Notice that's what Paul says in verse 11. You must consider yourself dead to sin. That is who you are. This is going to come up later as we begin to think about how we battle and wrestle against sin. This is where we got to begin. And recognizing this reality, your sin is not inevitable. Because of the power in you? No. Because of what Jesus has done. You have died to sin. You have been set free. Sin does not dominate and have dominion and power over you any longer. That was true of Adam, not true of you in Jesus. Eric Little was uh, a Scottish guy who uh, came to fame in the, uh, in the 1920s uh, for being an Olympic runner for Great Britain. Uh, he won a gold medal in the, the 400 meter race uh, and then afterwards uh, put off uh, the opportunity to go and, and pursue future fame and money and glory uh, and racing more and winning another gold medal for Brit- Great Britain. And what did he do? He went back to doing what he and his family did growing up. He became a missionary to China. He went to China uh, serving and proclaiming and sharing the good news of the gospel uh, to the Chinese there. Uh, and in the upcoming years, uh, Japan began to invade that portion of the world. Uh, uh, invaded China and began to put people into internment camps. Little saw what was going on. He sent his family away, but he stayed to minister the gospel to the people in China and he got imprisoned. And he was stuck there, enslaved, dominated by the Japanese uh, guards and rulers. Uh, But he would do something with the the people in the camp. Uh, So often they would run races. He would give them, all the other prisoners, a very, very generous head start. But he would always win. What did that do? It helped them escape, at least mentally for a time, the imprisonment that they faced. To, to dream and think about maybe we could be somewhere else that's not here where we're dominated and oppressed by these cruel uh, uh, leaders and rulers. But at the end of the race, it would always come back to reality. We're still imprisoned. Nobody knew it, but by the time he was 40, he was wrestling and battling with brain cancer. In his last race, he could no longer give people a head start. He started off with everybody else. In his last race... He's the only one his whole time in prison that he didn't come in first, and he came in second. He collapsed. They had to take him into the, uh, the hospital area of the, the camp, and he would die of his brain tumor. He was no longer, no longer imprisoned by the Japanese guards. Because he had died, he had been uh, released and set free from their oppression, their domination, their persecution. Right? Wakanda. I mean, really to think about death as being a deliverance is only a small picture of the puzzle. Right? Really, it's, it's in somewhat a disappointment. Because it's not true freedom found in life. Wouldn't Eric Little really experiencing freedom mean that that he, he was alive outside of this oppression? He was free to live? Yes. That is what freedom is. is not dying to escape oppression, but living to live out our freedom. And notice here, 
Paul does not stop with death because Jesus' story did not stop with death. He is our representative. As it went for the representative, so it goes for us. Jesus died, therefore we died. But remember, did Jesus stay dead? No. Jesus rose. Notice what Paul tells us. Verse 4, We are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The purpose of the death was in order to resurrect us and give us new life. Jesus didn't die just to die. Jesus died to rise from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, we experience new life as well. Paul is pointing to, one, the reality of the fact that the resurrection is coming. The bodily resurrection of Jesus. This wasn't myth. It wasn't fable. Jesus rose and He walked around. His disciples touched Him and smelled Him and hugged Him and ate with Him. He ate fish. They saw it. He appeared to them. Paul is pointing to that as one aspect of, of what is happening. Look in verse 5. If we've been buried, if we've been united Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. As he continues to go on. In verse 8. If we've died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. A couple of things. Paul is saying, yes, true. When Jesus returns, we also will be resurrected by Him. Accomplishing and overdoing the death that Adam brought into the world. But Paul is also talking about, in a very real way, we experience an aspect of that resurrection life now. Because notice what he tells us in verse 11. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and that you will be alive when Jesus comes back. No, that's not what he says. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are alive. The, the, the power that brought Jesus to life is at work in you. The life that Jesus earned and secured for His people, that resurrection life, is operable and working in you. You've been freed up to live. Unlike Eric Little, who only experienced freedom from the Japanese camp through death, you experience freedom from sin through death, and now you have the opportunity to live out resurrection life now, in the present. And guess what's happening? If many times, just this, just this past week, a guy, or two weeks ago, a guy escaped from prison in Pennsylvania. Did you see that? Scaled up the wall and got out. Second time it had happened. That's not going to happen again. For two weeks, that guy thought he was free. Living life on the outside. But guess what happened? Everybody was searching for him. And they found him. You see, that freedom wasn't secured. He experienced freedom for a while, but he came back into enslavement. What about us? Is it possible that we have experienced freedom from sin for a while, but Satan's on the move? That old sinful heart of mine is on the prowl, and I will not be long in this freedom. Could it be that I come under the dominion of sin again? No, Paul says. Why? Well, look at Jesus, your representative. What happened to him? He died. He rose. And what does he tell us? 
Death no longer has dominion over him. In verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Guess what? That means same is true for us. We will never come under the dominion and power of sin again because we have been found in Jesus. This is good, good news, people of God. We do not need to live a life of defeat or worry or anxiety because we're hoping and we're trusting and we're relying on Jesus who is alive for us. This, this life is working and it's moving in us, God's people. We have been set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have been set free by our death and our resurrection in Jesus. And therefore, we must live now as those who are dead to sin and alive to God. Notice Paul makes this distinction back over in verse 6. He tells us a lot of stuff about what we know. We know that our old self was crucified, and he goes on. But he's saying, also in verse 11, you must consider. Don't let this just be head knowledge. Oh yeah, I know that's true. Paul's saying, view this as being true of you. Consider yourself to be one who's dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Live as the one who is free. Back in uh, January 1st of 1863, Abraham Lincoln uh, signed the Emancipation Proclamation, setting free the enslaved persons in the southern portion of the United States. But it, it took a while. Even though this declaration had been signed, and it set free those who were enslaved, it took a while for the good news message of this freedom to reach all through the Confederacy. It wasn't going to be until June 19th of 1865 that it would finally reach the people of Galveston in Texas, the far extreme borders of the Confederacy. Although they had, the dec through, by declaration been free for over two years, they just now got this news. So for two and a half years, free people were enslaved and were living enslaved. But when the news came, the news was received with great joy. We are no longer enslaved people. We have been set free. They dreamed for it. They longed for it. But now the reality had come. What new life they would experience. To be able to walk around the streets of Galveston free, not enslaved. Except there's one problem with that. It's one thing to, to know it. It's another thing to consider it true of you. It's another thing altogether to begin to live it out. Because the temptation would be to continue to think of yourself as an enslaved person. To be afraid of the former slaveholder when you see him walking up the street. To, when you hear his voice or his threats, to be afraid and to think, I must obey him because that's what I've always done. No. You've been set free. You no longer have to obey him. You must not obey him anymore because he is not your master. You are one who has been set free. Here, that is the same thing. Paul's encouragement to us. Know this. Know who you are. Consider it to be true about you, but live it out. 
Live out this freedom. Do not submit yourself to slavery to sin anymore. Notice how that comes up in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Notice what Paul is not saying. He's not saying, now it's up to you to go and set yourself free from sin. Where does it start? It starts with what is true. What is true? Well, verse 11 tells us that. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Therefore, in light of what is true, now, don't let sin reign anymore. It doesn't have power over you. Live out what is true of your new life in Christ. Remember, the body of sin was brought to nothing. You were crucified with Jesus. Therefore, rethink and reapply what this reality looks like and how you use your body in the world. That's what the members that Paul is bringing up. He's touching back on uh, this reference to the body again. Because how, we, we're, humans are embodied creatures. We live life in this world and we use our bodies in rebellion against God. But you've been set free. Paul says, no longer use your, your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness. Now, Present your body, your members, as those who have been set free. Look in verse 16. Don't, uh, or sorry, we'll do that next week. Uh, uh, you have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness because sin will have no dominion over you. Here we have to, again, reconsider. What's the, what was the lie from the beginning? The lie to Adam and Eve. You will only be free when you rebel against God. You will only find freedom when you disobey Him because He's trying to keep things from you. No. You've been set free for obedience. You've been set free for righteousness. Sin was a cruel taskmaster. An oppressive master. But now you have been set free by your God to live and give your body and your life for righteousness. Don't be satisfied with the way that it was before. Live and demonstrate who you are in Jesus. Because why? Well, look in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now again, Paul isn't saying the law doesn't apply, but remember how the law applied to those outside of Christ. It was never meant as a means to find righteousness and salvation before God. As we try to use the law to... To save ourselves, we come face to face with our sin over and over again. Transgressions abound. Condemnation abounds. But what is true now, due to the grace of God, Jesus has been credited to your account. His life, His perfection, His righteousness. You no, no, no longer need to, to live in fear that, uh, that you will be condemned. And you no longer need to live as if you're trying to earn God's favor. Live out your freedom. Because Jesus has secured it for you. Will sin still plague us? We still have to battle against it. Yes. But where we must start in that battle is recognizing that we are those who have died to sin and alive to God in Christ. 
One, just one example of how this would play out. Think about how a lot of times the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous works. You stand up in that group, and, and, and the path forward to freedom, uh, to sobriety, begins with saying, you introduce yourself, and you say what? I am an alcoholic. Paul doesn't start there. Paul would say for the believer... Freedom begins by standing up and saying what is true of you in Jesus. I am a man and I am a woman in Christ. I have died to sin. It no longer has dominion over me. I have life in Jesus. Because He has set me free, now I'm going to battle this sin. My identity is rooted in who I am. I can still address my sin and talk about my sin, but it flows from who I am in Him. And that is where freedom is found. This is the good news. The good news of the Gospel. May we live out our freedom in Jesus and no longer give ourselves over to enslavement to sin because He's set us free. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You that Jesus is our representative. Uh, We thank You that these promises are real and sure and true. Uh, We pray that we would not just know them we consider them true about us and we would present now our lives as those who have been brought from death to life in Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.